Welcome back to Movie Remake Time, a filmmaker's compass podcast, where we ask the very simple question, who did it better? This week, we are going to be comparing two, well, at least one horror classic with the sequel. The first movie is Stanley Kubrick's The Shining from 1980 with the much more recent sequel, almost 40 years later, Dr. Sleep. I am CP. This is my amazing co-host, D-Man. D-Man, I know you're excited because you're always excited to talk movies, so. Well, what's fun this month is it's October. So we're getting into uh, some of the horror movies and as you guys will see, some of the Halloween-themed movies throughout the years. Obviously, like you mentioned, what's crazy is a movie got a sequel 40 years later. That doesn't happen a lot by today's standards. I think we're looking at they're doing a direct sequel to like Top Gun. That's, you know, almost 40 years or so later, but you don't see that a lot. So I was really fascinated. I watched Doctor Sleep last year during the pandemic, 2020. I was able to catch it. It was pretty cool at the time, but now revisiting it, like watching them one after the other was a lot of fun. Yeah. It's fascinating because they are two really different styles of film. So even oh, though totally. it's kind of a uh, Doctor Sleep it's in its soul and in its plot, it's a sequel, but it is a different type of movie. One of the things I wanted to uh, bring up at the top of the episode is both of these are based based off Stephen King books, correct? Yes, yes. Okay, now having done a little research, I came across some quotes from Stephen King. I'm just gonna paraphrase here, but basically he did not like Stanley Kubrick's (laughs) The Shining. His reasons were varied, you know, taking liberty with the source material, the ending being somewhat more pessimistic rather than the optimistic ending he referred to in his book, which I have not read. Have you read the book? Uh, Yeah, actually, it's kind of hard now for me to talk about these movies without comparing them to the books. I too watched Dr. Sleep for the first time during the pandemic, was inspired, so I bought The Shining and Dr. Sleep, and I read them both in the last year. Gave me an interesting perspective re-watching both the films for this episode. That's cool. You know, when it comes to books, people always tend to say the movie's not as good as the book. But one of the things about The Shining, it's like a film classic. By no means a slasher film. There's almost, if any, actual like jump scares. I didn't notice any of that. It's all very moody, creepy, thriller. Uh, They do some stuff with music. But as a staple of the horror kind of genre, and again, we're talking horror in the broad sense, not necessarily Freddie, Jason, and Michael Myers. It really is a classic. I guess my point is, I would have to assume that more people have seen Stanley Kubrick's version of The Shining than read Stephen King. Now, maybe I'm wrong, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. I'm guessing through the years. I mean, at least as far as The Shining is culturally relevant, almost all of that comes from the movie. True. So I I wonder if you have just a tiny little perspective having read the book, why would Stephen King not like Stanley Kubrick's version of The Shining? Well, for one, they're very different. The film and and the book are very different stories. And there's a point in the first Shining film where it almost veers apart and you can tell that they're different. Ironically Hmm. enough, the ending to the Dr. Sleep film is much more in line with the original ending of The Shining. 
Now, it's interesting you say that as well, because I heard in order to make Dr. Sleep, Stephen King was kind of, you know, he was like, one of the conditions of being able to do this is to kind of write what he viewed as the wrongs in the original version of Shine. Yeah, it's almost they retcon it. I mean, spoiler alert here. One of the major differences at the end of The Shining, the Overlook Hotel burns down. So there is no Overlook in Dr. Sleep, the novel, yet the whole third, you know, the final act is all in the Overlook Hotel, which is why I think Stephen King, though he was not initially a fan of the film, he did go back and say what Mike did with Dr. Sleep. I'm okay with The Shining as a film. All those wrongs have now been righted cinematically. I think the same way us X-Men fans feel after we watched Days of Future Past. We're like, okay, everything is is corrected. (laughs) We can sleep in our beds fine. Star Wars needs one of those. Just going back to what you said about (laughs) King not liking Kubrick's version, he's been very critical of it for a number of reasons. In one interview I did read, he brought up something which I thought was really great. He said, you know, I'm a storyteller. I'm a writer. Stanley Kubrick is a very talented storyteller in his own right, in his own medium, which is film. Sometimes when someone is trying to tell another person's story, they just Mm -hmm. see it differently and think. So it is interesting in the years how King's perspective on the film has changed a bit. And I think part of that has to do with culturally our reception of The Shining has changed too. You read a lot of the reviews from the 1980s when it came out. Yeah. A lot of people were kind of unimpressed almost that's, a decade. I feel like that's almost a staple of Kubrick's work. You have a small contingent of people who are like, masterpiece. This yeah. is amazing. But you get a lot of people who, upon initial viewing of a lot of his work, they're like, ah, I don't, I don't know. Nah, yeah, nah, nah. I mean, I don't know what all the, the hoopla is about, you know, in terms of, like I said, the word masterpiece gets thrown a lot, you know, when discussing Kubrick. He's obviously a really talented filmmaker. You know, now, all these years later, he said 40 years, but he's been making movies for like, you know, 60 years ago. And I think he passed away in like, what, like 99 or something? Yeah. You know, now his works stand the test of time. So that's always kind of the question you have, you know, when you're watching someone's work in real time is like, is this really a masterpiece? Are they really a master? And now we know that all these years later, his films still hold up. So that probably isn't an unfair or, you know, it's an incredibly flattering but true statement about Kubrick. Yeah. One of the things that, you know, when we're comparing the two then, Dr. Sleep and The Shining, not the books anymore, is The Shining in our cultural zeitgeist guys is alive and well. I mean, there's so many elements of The Shining that you still see either parodied, you know, here's Johnny and Red Rum and, you know, mm-hmm. what's the saying he writes on the typewriter? All play or all, all, all work, work and no, and no play. play makes Jack a dull boy. Yeah, you know, they have that. The blood coming out of the elevator. I mean, you've seen these things parodied. Like, I think literally Jack Nicholson's face in the door is like a meme. Yeah. You know, like when somebody's like, hey, it's me. Yeah. It's so crazy how much that movie is embedded in our culture. Most people know those references. Even the twin girls in the shot down the hall, that still gets parodied. You know, you see people in movies, they look down the hall and there's like either a little girl or two twin girls. Yeah. It's just crazy to me the relevance that that movie has maintained for 40 years. I think in a way, when you watch Dr. Sleep, by going back to the Overlook Hotel, what they're really doing is embracing a lot of that cultural relevance. Obviously, there's a reason King wanted that separate ending, and that's kind of what I wanted to get to initially. But also, they're able to cash in on everybody's kind of fanboy expectations of going back to that hotel. 
Exactly. I don't know. When I watched Dr. Sleep, though, most of its cultural relevance to me was derived from The Shining. So unfortunately, I didn't feel it created a whole lot of new things in its own right. And so that does make it kind of a uh, true sequel in that sense, where it really is somewhat dependent for its mm-hmm. relevance. Not that it, it's a standalone film. You really don't have to see The Shining. You could treat The Shining like a prequel if you mm-hmm. wanted. That's well, that's what I took away from it. You know, it's interesting because when you watch Dr. Sleep, all of its cultural stuff, it draws from the original. So I was like, hard to argue that it's it's made it the same type of impact The Shining did. No, I think you're right. It's very interesting because watching Dr. Sleep, you really are kind of spending the first two thirds of the movie waiting to go back to the overlook. Yeah. Well, what's ironic is like you said in the book, it's not even in the, so, <laughs> you know, they're even in the marketing, right? You see the shots of the blood coming down the elevator and or yeah. out of the elevator and all that. So that's like, obviously the movie's saying out loud, Hey, we're going there. Yeah. So you, you can't help, but be on, you know, and of course when they go back, you're like, Oh my gosh, here we go. And funny story. I actually went with my friend drew to that hotel that they filmed at in Colorado. No way. And yeah, I've been there. We had brunch there. I heard so. that the room 237 sign at that actual hotel is stolen like on average two times a day. That's crazy. I didn't know that, but you should have looked at it, dude. We could have <laughs> held it up I as a movie prop. When you look at the two movies, one of the things that really separates them to me is the pacing. I feel like Dr. Sleep follows a much more traditional narrative Modern. structure. Yeah. Yeah. Where you know, almost blockbuster structure compared to The Shining, which is so moody and meandering. The scenes, some of the scenes, like they, you know, have the days, Monday, Thursday. I know it's meant to give us that sense, I think, of cabin fever. What happened on Monday? You're like, this nonsense. But at the same time, it's pacing. It's incredibly slow. And yet I was shocked by how quickly we got to kind of the action. It's almost at like right around the midway point, I felt. I mean, again, Kubrick is notorious for his deliberate pacing that he takes in movies. And we see it play out very well. I think the other very interesting thing, Kubrick does what Kubrick does in The Shining, where these very elaborate shots where you know that there is everything is meticulously framed and placed and it's either what's there matters and he takes everything else out of the frame. Yeah. And watching Dr. Sleep, it's not like that. It's much more what we're accustomed to with films that are cutting around. And I mean, even the fact that Dr. Sleep is a movie taking place with a bunch of people, whereas The Shining is only like three people people. freaking isolated in in this hotel. And then either ghosts or projections or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, it's a different film. Now, when it comes to that style, though, there's no topping Kubrick here. How he's able to fill out the frame. I mean, Kubrick's always kind of been known for that symmetry of the frame where he he tends to line things up in the middle. And you don't see that a lot. A lot of directors, it's very jarring. It's hard to pull off in a meaningful kind of artful way. Because whenever you make something jarring, you draw attention to it. Yeah. For some reason, Kubrick's able to frame his shots that way and they don't come off as weird. They actually come off as like you feel like you want to look around. Yeah. And he's really good at that. That's not just unique to The Shining. Uh, He does that all the time. There's so many elements of Kubrick's style here, you know, the different colors and different rooms and how he's filling out the frame to give us a sense of size and scope, you know, like there's shots of them running outside in the snow, just giving us that sense of how much snow is really out there. You see it like piled up against the hotel. Yeah. He does. He does such a good job. 
Now, one of the things that I really enjoyed in Dr. Sleep from a style perspective was the way, so when they use The Shining, how they move around into the different kind of story timelines. That was cool. It was, I mean, it was different. I didn't expect that, you know, in The Shining, Danny basically from an acting standpoint is like just closing his eyes and we're meant to believe that he's sending something out there and it's being received on the other end. Well, in this one, I mean, blow that out of the water. They're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. Literally like taking over other people's consciousness and sending messages and doing all this stuff. I actually enjoyed it. The movie, The Shining is titled The Shining, but it's relevance, meaning it's some sort of telekinetic power that Danny has. Like they just call him special. And like, he kind of uses it. I don't know, not that much. In, In The Shining, we talk about The Shining a little bit. In Doctor Sleep, we see The Shining and the extent to it. It's also explained to us as the audience a little bit more. What are the rules of this, right? Why are yeah. some things drawn to it and so interested in consuming the, the people with the gift? One of the big questions when we watch the first film, we don't really understand what The Shining is and why does this hotel want Danny so bad? He's just a kid. You know, something else too is like they add, this is a, a more of a plot point than a style point, but they add, what are they called? The true knots or something. And basically they have to go find people who have the gift, who have the shining or the ability to do that. They go steam them. Now I wanted to say the movie Dr. Sleep, there's a scene where they kill a little boy. Oh, that's freaking. That was, yeah, that was wild. I didn't think, I thought the boy would get away. And then like, it goes down and I was like, oh my God. And she's like <laughs> gutting him with a knife. I was like, wow, this is dark. Wow, they really went for it right here. And now, you I mean, you kind of, you don't really like those guys. You don't like what they're about. But like you said, the scene itself is meant to add more to the mythology around what The Shining is. And I guess they they steam people in Doctor Sleep. The True Knots are this other group of people. They need to steam people with The Shining in order to basically steal their life force. That was what I got from it. Now, why is that? I mean, I don't know. I think in the book, King refers to them as kind of like vampires. And it's kind yeah, of- Yeah, something like that. That's, it's got that type it. of vibe. There's no mention of that in The Shining at all. You would no. have no idea. But I thought that was an interesting take. And that was a major plus for me for Dr. Sleep. They explore the mythology- And I found that fun and engaging. Even though Danny himself, he goes back to the Overlook and the story kind of shifts around to filling these certain roles and things. But a lot of the movie was spent, and I enjoyed that around the mythology. Yeah. So it almost made me, we're not going to get another sequel, I doubt. But I was interested in that whole world. Yeah. Consider it. If they wanted to come out with something else, I know now the Overlook's burned down. (laughs) So we're not going back there either. So I don't (laughs) I doubt I doubt we're getting a sequel, but I'd be much more interested in a sequel after Dr. Sleep than I was after The Shining. Another thing that I felt The Shining had going for it was uh, the music. Uh, Because of, yeah, because of the way Kubrick's setting up his frames, he's essentially, there's so much about the horror aspect of the film being conveyed through the score which is amazing because there's no jump scores they do like little piano keys they have these huge crescendos but the thing is the crescendo just leads to like a room yep sometimes the creepy things happen when there's no music it's it's almost faking you out a little bit but it gives it this real overall sense of epicness and that brooding kind of like cabin fever-esque like if i can almost imagine that score is like what you would get if you actually had cabin fever everything is so dramatic that you're like you know oh my gosh i don't want to go in that room 
that's probably what we hear in our heads. <laughs> that score is something, another example of what has lived on so much beyond the film, right? I mean, it's iconic in its own right. When you hear that music, you you question whether you should go into the bathroom, really, is what I get. <laughs> yeah. Um, Don't do it. And some, again, you know, to the credit of Dr. Sleep, they skillfully bring that back as we're headed to the Overlook. And we know that stuff's about to get really bad. I, yeah, I thought definitely another plus for The Shining and great implementation by Dr. Sleep there. Because if we're going back to the Overlook, then we need that score. So another thing that I thought was interesting is there are shots in Dr. Sleep, which are clearly a tribute to The Shining. Mm-hmm. Some of them are recreations. Some of them, I believe, is actual footage from The Shining. I believe that's true, yeah. Like the uh, the aerial footage of flying to the Overlook along mm-hmm. the Sidewinder. Yeah, yeah, I do. I read something that they went to great lengths to recreate certain shots, obviously because Danny's past plays a huge role in the plot mm-hmm. for Dr. Sleep, which is essentially he's tormented by the events of The Shining. He ends up realizing that he can play a larger role in helping end this whole thing. And that's... Yeah essentially the plot. And then you have like the antagonists, the true knots trying to steam these, these people as, as they're trying to end this. So, you know, kind of throw that wrench in there. I like the use of the throwback again, as fans, it's fun. Those moments are always cool, but because the overlook and the shining plays such a prominent role, it wasn't done to me as fan service. It felt like, you know, this is 40 years later. Maybe you haven't seen the shining in a while. Let's just revisit couple of these for a sec. Yeah. Worthwhile. Good point. When we get to the store. Oh boy. Yeah. I mean, like we said at the top, in a weird way, Dr. Sleep feels more to me like a traditional narrative where The Shining is is just creepy. After watching them, like I said, I'm not 100% sure yet where I fall on which one I enjoyed more. Like, (laughs) Parts of The Shining, I was kind of like, okay, go, like, get going. (laughs) Even now, I was like, this is so, like, can we move it along a little? Because it's like, you know, they show, like, I noticed little things they do where, like, they'll show people going down halls. uh, They keep having people in these different settings. But, like, there's a girl in the bathtub, right? And Jack walks in. I mean, I don't know how long they took. Like, two minutes. He, like, walks through that room, and she's, like, in the shower. I was like, oh, my God, just... (laughs) get there already this is taking forever and like i know the suspense it's done very intentionally but part of me was like let's go (laughs) i think it's funny because i will tell you as a matter of fact when i was a kid the shining was the scariest movie i had ever seen yeah hands down i remember it's it's just one of those things that you think back in your mind like the little girls in the hallway and the the old lady opening up the thing and i'm like that's just scary like that is horrifying shit like i do not ever want to go to colorado because i don't want to take a chance (laughs) watching it later it was weird because it is a different type of horror film than i think we're accustomed to as audiences it's such a cerebral psychological horror that kubrick's playing with and I think, again, this is one of King's problems with it. The way King wrote it is Johnny is a little bit more of a, you know, we really kind of see his his demise. He's still a loving father deep down. And as a loving father, he ends up heroically kind of as he dies, but he still, you know, saves Danny. Right. And he loves not, him. Not in the movie. We don't get this in the film. We see kind of more of his fall and his descent into madness. Kubrick was very clear about the fact that he believed that there was evil in Johnny as there is evil in everyone. And he said, you know, he he's quoted somewhere saying, 
horror movies are to show us the dark parts of our own minds. What's living in our ids. And he wanted to play with that. And Jackson, there's an element. Yeah, there's an element that I was noticing too, an element of alcoholism and addiction. Mm -hmm. There's kind of this overall implied, you know, they keep mentioning like he had an incident with Danny. He's like five months sober, but then drinks, but not really. And then, you know, he kind of falls farther, you know, descends into madness. And I don't know, I kind of got this weird vibe that like the original was about, you know, the perils of addiction and where it can take you and it felt more like dr sleep was like about recovery like danny starts off in recovery he's like going to alcoholics anonymous i think for some reason i i just it stuck out to me it seemed like alcohol played a not a passive role but a somewhat prominent role well it's totally those characters and the king talks about how when he wrote the shining he was dealing with alcoholism okay it's a big part in the story which is also why the recovery of danny is is not just he starts out as this booze begotten drunk like his father and ends up finding sobriety, but he also redeems himself and the arc essentially that him and his father are both on through the right series. So I, I did want to ask you, I mean, it's left somewhat ambiguous, especially in The Shining. Are there really ghosts? <laughs> I mean, you know, or are these because uh, something I did read and obviously picked up on as I was watching it. But, you know, whenever Johnny's talking to one of the ghosts, he seems to be in front of a mirror or something reflective, implying that a lot of the times he is just having these conversations alone. And again, we know that these ghosts that a lot of the right when he walks into the ballroom, there's all those people who are like, we know they're not there. He sits at the bar and has a drink, but we just saw the bar completely empty he even looked kind of see if there actually was and there's not i i think one of the main questions that both movies take a look at is is this paranormal or are we dealing with our own psychosis yeah and i don't know the answer to that question i kind of get the implication that we're dealing with obviously there's supernatural elements i mean the idea that the shining could even exist the actual act of yeah you know the shine implies that there's some sort of supernatural stuff going on So I remember when I was younger, people used to refer to the hotel almost as a character. I didn't get that as much here. I felt it was more within his own subconscious. When I was younger, I remember people used to be like, oh, the hotel wanted it. Mm-hmm. And like, as if like the hotel has mind its own or something. Obviously, we'll come back to this because we have to talk about the ambiguity of the ending of The Shining, which I think puts that hotel kind of story front and center. It's odd because watching, I feel like The Shining is much more takes the approach. And I think that if you had to, if we got a one-on-one with each director, I feel like Kubrick's approach is the ghosts are not real. This is in This is all in the head. And he's Mm -hmm. kind of very deliberate. I mean, as you said, the ghosts and things don't appear when anyone else is around. The interactions are always kind of skewed. Whereas isolated, yeah. Yeah, I feel like the approach of the filmmakers for Dr. Sleep was much more, these are a thing, like we're just going to embrace it. That was the vibe I got too. And that was why it's weird because on one hand, like because it takes at least decent effort to go ahead and expand the mythology. It feels like they've kind of earned the right to make a call on that where Kubrick totally left it up in the air. Again, it's almost like the shining doesn't really touch on any mythology. It's just kind of like, Hey, trap these people in a hotel through a winter storm and watch what happens. 
you believe what you want. Were there really ghosts? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. In the novel, it's very clear. There's only one scene in the film which even really kind of alludes to this. Crux of the novel is there is this scrapbook hidden away in the Overlook. And if you open it up, essentially you too will become consumed with this hotel. And that is where the oh. hotel really gets its clutches on you. And you see it at the scene where Wendy goes to see Johnny and he's sitting there at the big table, right? And the scrapbook is open. So we oh, yeah, know yeah. he has now become infatuated with the hotel. But other than that, that element of the central theme to the novel is not at play in the film. And now, again, that's when you bring up the scrap book without knowledge of the novel you wouldn't even know don't know it now i think it's really interesting because again this is i think the most debated part of the film final shot of the shiny we zoom in the photo to the black and white photo where jack nicholson's character is in the middle of the party with all the other party guests you know, doing some research, there's kind of two interpretations. The first is, this is the hotel. He has finally got Jack. He is now now part of this right. as the hotel wanted him to be. The other, which is ironically enough, what Kubrick said was his intention of it, is it's much more of, he is the reincarnation of earlier versions of these caretakers who also went about killing their families. And this is a perpetual cycle. As a film critic, what was your kind of perspective? What was the ending you we're getting. Yeah, I kind of got that. Shining. Yeah, I kind of got that Kubrick interpretation. And I think it's because he talks to the former caretaker, although he doesn't claim to be him, but he is him because he killed his wife and his kids. Mm -hmm. And he's a ghost. He's talking to him in the bathroom, I believe. Mm -hmm. That and great shot he, where, yeah. yeah, he says something along the lines of like, you're the caretaker now. And so I, that was what I got was that it's this sense of passing on, right? There's a new person. Even though they use the photo at the end, I think the implication more was not that the hotel has like, you know, necessarily Johnny's like just a ghost now, but more so that like there'll be another. Mm -hmm. This will keep going as long as they keep bringing people to the hotel. Yeah, that was that was kind of my interpretation. And it's weird because people have read a lot of different things into that story, to the mythology, especially with Kubrick's intention. Like I I saw I haven't seen it, but apparently there's a movie called 237. It's like a documentary that interviews people about The Shining and there's there's all these things <laughs> that Kubrick was commenting on American America's treatment of Native Americans because the hotel was built on a Native American burial site. Like there's little hints, I guess, like some cans refer to some Native American stuff. So they were saying like, oh, it's super intentional. That's what he was doing. Or like people thought he was messing around with World War II and themes of the Holocaust and, and different things like that. So it's pretty wild reading some of the, the theories, although... I only bring that up to say that when I watched it, I did not get all the way there. <laughs> you take that as you, you know, maybe that's true. And I know Kubrick does everything so intentionally that it would feel odd that these little pieces of the puzzle are there. But I don't know. I, that I, until I went and did the research, I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't bet at all. <laughs> so fair or not. I also heard, I guess at one time, Danny wears like a sweatshirt that has Apollo 11 on it. And yeah. that was like a subtle jab at the fact that Kubrick, after he made 2001, apparently everyone thought that he was the director responsible for faking the moon landing. <laughs> I did not know that. That's awesome, though. Yeah. So and then if you actually keep an eye on Danny's sweaters throughout, there's other things like one time he wears Mickey Mouse and everybody was like, what does that mean? 
you know, like all these things. Like, I'm like, I don't know. Maybe Kubrick was having fun. Hard to say. I don't know. I think if we had to get down to it, you know, which one did it better? Surprisingly, I feel like I might have enjoyed Dr. Sleep a little bit more. Ironically, we spent a, a lot of this episode talking about The Shining, but that's kind of unavoidable just based on its impact. But one of the things that just really I could not get into was the pacing of The Shining. And that really held me back. Okay. I think it's interesting. slow. Like, I just, like, part, I wanted to, like, The the film term is deliberative. I think that you bring up a good point. If this is out of the blue and you're deciding which one to watch, I think The Shining is a little more cerebral of a film. As obviously, there's things that people have been debating for 40 years, and we still are. I think that there's a lot more of a psych. I mean, the very fact that we, we reach a moment where a father has an axe and is trying to chop up his own son is is horrifying in its own right. Like there's a lot of psychological and emotional like potential trauma in this film. Now the difference is Dr. Sleep, the pacing's a little more readily. I think the fact that Rebecca Ferguson, who by the way is amazing in Dr. Sleep, you know, she's a tangible uh, antagonist that we can see. Yeah. And, And we are following her exploits, trying to capture Danny and Abra and their adventures of trying to capture her and and throw her off their track. It's a little bit more rewatchable, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, yeah, I think just when it comes to that that story and the pace, that's where I have to go with, I think, Dr. Sleep. But I mean, you know, we take a look at, you know, the final question of this show. Which one did it better? I mean, it's The Shine. <laughs> and you're uh, right. I for, mean... for all of its cultural relevance, the cinematography, the score, even like you said, the ambiguousness of Kubrick's intent behind what he was trying to convey. I mean, it just has not left our uh, our film watching lists. I think The Shining did it better, unfortunately, because I, as much as, like I said, I really did enjoy Dr. Sleep. It's just that a lot of the other elements tend to be more, they tend to be forgettable. And I feel like its true value is if you're a fan of The Shining, then I felt it was on its own. And that's a good point. And I don't know how many people sought out to watch Dr. Sleep, not knowing anything about The Shining. Exactly, right? I mean, when I saw the trailer, I was like, sequel to The Shining, of course, like, we have to watch that, like, (laughs) right? Yep. So your opinion, which one did it? Clearly The Shining. I mean, how can you not? I, I've been scared scared of eight-year-old twin girls since. So <laughs> I do want to, I got to give a kudos to uh, Dr. Sleep for not messing it up. I feel like one of the things that easily could have happened was everybody's like, why was this even made? And I felt like you mentioned the exploration of, you know, Danny going through recovery, making it a uh, bookend piece, but also kind of finishing off that arc between him and his father. It makes it so that it's not required viewing, but there's a reason it was made. And that's also, good because sequels mess that up all the and time. They, really. Even they do a great job. There's the sequence where he's talking to his father at the bar. Mm-hmm. A very important scene for the character, a very important scene for the story. But even to that, I'm like, the filmmakers could have really done a lot of other things, but the way they kept it, it, it kept the integrity felt true to the original scene in The Shining. Yeah. I think that that's really important. They walked a great line. Well, they also could have scenes they recreated, I thought, were done really, really well. They also, you know, Kubrick's gone and Stephen King was still somewhat had input. I mean, they could have just kind of given, you know, a big middle finger to the original Shining. And Stephen King could be like, this was, you know, me writing that wrong. But you're like, what does that have to do with the story? And that's the trouble is like, Stephen King, like, if you just wanted to give your interpretation and not Kubrick's, 
you're like, I mean, I don't know if we needed that, but they avoid that trap, I think, for the most part, and they make the story relevant. So kudos, but yeah, The Shining does it better. And, and honestly, I feel like the filmmakers of Dr. Sleep would honestly, I think, probably agree. You can tell so, they're approaching the film with a reverence. Yeah, that's good because, yeah, I would recommend it. I just say watch The Shining first. all right well that does it for this episode i had a great time actually watching both movies my wife doesn't like scary movies so so she wouldn't watch either one with me but um, yeah i had to watch them alone you know it was fun obviously the shining is some a movie that i actually haven't watched in a long time like i said i saw dr sleep but didn't feel compelled to go back to the shining at that time so it was really cool to watch them together and if you get a chance i'd say go for it be sure to continue the conversation there was a few questions we threw out there doing during the episode if you know the answer or you have an opinion on what that interpretation might be that'd be great let us know which one did it better you can find the show on all the major social media channels apple podcasts google play music as well as youtube and you can uh subscribe there leave us a review and let us know your thoughts so cp i'm gonna throw it over to you let's go next week we will actually not be watching a scary movie you may or may not i don't know if you follow the news happen to know that a new james bond movie is coming out yay daniel craig's last film 007 no time to die and we will actually be comparing it to die another day pierce brosnan's last film so we're gonna put all the halloween stuff on hold for for a day it's not out yet at the time that it's recorded, but I have a feeling I know which one's going to be better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess we'll have to talk about it. I'm very psyched. Other than that, thanks for listening and keep watching movies and we'll see you next week.